You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. I'm Nate Kading, and this is Real Success. This is the Corridor Media Group podcast, where we explore the life and careers of Eastern Iowa's most influential business leaders. Sean Muller is the writer-turned-entrepreneur behind successful music recording and performance venues such as Day Trotter, Codfish Hollow, and the Raccoon Motel. I talk to Sean about making a living in the performance and entertainment industry, how he finds ways to bring artists to Iowa, and how content influences culture and empowers artists to stand out. Sean also shares his thoughts on his background in writing for the Quad City Times, the future of the music industry, and how the potential of discovering the underdog inspires him. I learned a lot, and I think you will too. Stay tuned. This episode of Real Success with Nate Kading is brought to you by Midwest One Bank. Midwest One Bank is the proud partner for doers and entrepreneurs in the corridor and beyond. As an SBA preferred lender, our team is ready to help you reach your business goals. It's empowered money management. It's Midwest One Bank, member FDIC. Well, Sean, thanks so much for for taking the time. I mean, you're the you're literally the coolest Iowan I know, without a, without a doubt. So we got to on the with the podcast, we got to have the coolest Iowan, and you and you make Iowa cool, especially no, especially don't we both Tim Dwight, <laughs> especially Eastern Iowa. You know, we gotta <laughs> gotta have that on. But I've always admired the work you do. You know, especially bringing that kind of creative element, that young um, vibrancy to not only the quad cities, but the whole state of Iowa and just your whole background with the music industry and what you've been able to do and how you've blended that together from a business perspective as well. But, and I know you're, you were an athlete growing up, uh, a student athlete here at the university of Iowa, but let's, let's start with just kind of chatting a little bit about where your life started to intersect with music. When was that at, at a really early age for you or you fell in love with, with music and the arts, or was that something that became more of an acquired taste? Well, I went, I saw the Jets at the Mississippi Valley Fair when I was a kid. Um, maybe it started then. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, mostly it was at the University of Iowa. I mean, when I got to Iowa City, um, you know, I mean, that was back in, what, 94, 93, 90, no, 97, sorry. And, uh, you know, I mean, that was before Spotify and all that stuff. It's like, I mean, to really have access to, to music, like I needed record stores. We didn't have any record stores here other than, you know, Sam Goody and Music Land, you know, yeah. at the mall. In the you old Capitol Mall, limited. yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty limited. I mean, you know, that's that's typically going to be uh, mainstream stuff. And so getting to Iowa City and having access to the record collector and, um, you know, being able to, to hit Gabe's three nights a week and see bands that, you know, I didn't even know any songs, you know. Uh, you know, that's, that's kind of where I think um, where it intrigued me more where it started getting like you know what is this like why am why am i that into it because i mean i came to iowa to be a writer you know like i wanted to be a journalist and and to do all that stuff and so obviously i was already attracted to um words and uh i think really having access i mean i think i went to college having only been to maybe five concerts in my life really? you know like huh. something you know, something little i mean i didn't i just didn't go that many places i mean i guess we went out of town a few times when i was in high school but you know really 
I didn't have friends that were going to concerts all the time. I mean, maybe it was more than five, but it wasn't many, you know, like definitely on one, two hands, you know, is how many concerts I had gone to before I went to college. And then I started going to three, four a week, you know, and, yeah. and just kind of really making my life. I mean, I stopped at the record store every day after class, you know, I'd just be like <laughs> downtown. I'd be like, well, I'm going to go in here again and probably drop 30 bucks, you know, <laughs> yeah. it just, you know, hooked, hooked early, early and easy. Yeah. Were you, interested from the beginning as well in the in the business of music in the business of live music was that something like when you find yourself at a show at Gabe's or the Englert or one of the live music venues while you were in college were you, were you intrigued by were you thinking like okay like you know what it costs to get this band here and you know how you know where they, they're selling x amount at the at the at the door and x amount at the you know at the at the mill they got to sell so many pizzas and beer like were you thinking about that then or was that something that kind of came on later I didn't really think about it too much I mean it was really kind of um at that point it was still just pure entertainment for me. You know, it was, uh, you know, I knew I was getting something from going to these concerts and, you know, buying all these like records and, you know, I buy a, sh I buy a t-shirt at every show I went to, you know, I still have a huge yeah. closet full of stuff that I don't wear. And, um, you know, I, I think it was more just, I knew, I think I recognized that I, when I bought something at the merch table, it helped the band, you know, because you'd always hear them. Sure. A million times, like, hey, that really helps. You know, I really appreciate it. You know, you, I feel like I was already getting a sense that like anything I could do where I handed them money directly yep. was a big deal to them without having put it together exactly like how hard it is to be on the road, you know. And yet I was at plenty of shows where it was me and one other person in the entire venue and you feel guilty if you leave before the whole thing's over you know like uh so i think things kind of like seeped in that way where you're sort of not really connecting the dots but you were starting to kind of see the greater picture of like yeah concerts aren't always full you know yeah. and um you know sometimes people don't care but yet there is still like a quote-unquote quote-unquote business that's happening tonight there there is a transaction right. and there is somebody out trying to make a living uh who is traveling the country and then there's somebody who's opening the doors that night and running sound and you know standing behind an empty bar who's trying to make a, a living as well and um you know i i think it's pretty hard to sort of like make that connection without having you know done it firsthand you know i mean sure. even still i mean i think anybody who's a promoter or, or a club owner um doesn't uh, you're, you're still rolling the dice every day. I mean, you're, you're basically operating, you know, a horse track. I mean, you're betting on certain <laughs> ponies and you don't know who's like, you could be wrong every, yeah. every time you could, you could have the favorite and that horse could come in fifth and you're it could, be, or it could be a blizzard that night and all of a sudden no one can come or yeah. whatever. There's so many things, you know, yeah. what, what do you, what do you refer to yourself as now? You know, you're at a dinner party or sitting there at one of your kids soccer games and you get in a casual conversation with someone like what what are you what are you telling them I don't get in a casual conversation <laughs> I try to avoid them at all costs yeah well you get you get you get stuck you get trapped what are you um I mean are you are you a promoter or are you a are you a musician or live music venue owner like what do, what do you what are you um hey Taylor would you get Nick real quick um I think uh I guess I'm a promoter. I mean, to me, that's a weird, it sounds weird to say, right? Like I'm a yeah. promoter, but, um, I guess that's what it is. I mean, I, I still, 
in a weird way, I, I don't like looking at myself that professionally, you know, like, I think that almost gives me too much credit. Like, I think what I still try to do and the thing that makes, I want to say like, what's given me like the longevity and, or like me being stubborn enough to not stop doing this is I just like putting on great nights. I like giving, I love giving everybody the right elements to have a really great evening, whether that's the people on stage or the people that buy a ticket. Um, I don't like doing things the easy way. And I like kind of crafting my nights in a way where you're never going to see this one ever again. You're not going to see the same two bands on stage. You're not going to see it in this way anywhere else. You know, even if those two bands are on tour together, right. I try not to do that. I, I, I think I like just building nights, you know, I'm a night builder. That's awesome. So before you got to this point as a night builder, take us back, you know, late nineties, finished college. Did you, what was your professional journey from the beginning? Where, where did you start off and, and how did it lead you into, you know, things like day trotter and codfish hollow and raccoon motel and where, where, where what was that? What was that? What was that early journey right out of college look like? Uh, well, I mean, in high school, I started working at the Quad City Times here in town, so I, like, answered phones in the sports department, so I would... Um, <laughs> right, right down I mean, box scores from the from the, scores, North, yeah. the North Scott, uh, you know, eighth grade girls basketball game versus yep. uh, Pleasant Valley. Free throws, free throw attempts, all that stuff, and uh, um, I did that forever, you know, but uh, started junior year, answered phones, then when I went to Iowa, came back, um, came back after... Came back after my freshman year and they let me start writing. So I started getting bylines. And so, um, you know, when I left college, I didn't really apply anywhere. I didn't try to get a job anywhere. I, I wanted to be a writer. So I'm like, well, I kind of already have this job, you know, back home. Um, they've been letting me write now for four years. So, you know, I already, already sort of had the ground laid for, you know, being a known quantity or something like that. Mm -hmm. So um, came back and just started, you know, writing for the paper and, um, and what were you then doing in the music playing. industry then? Was that sort of like a side hustle for you while you were working with so, the Quad City Times? So I was working for the sports department, and then I weaseled my way in to start, like, previewing and reviewing shows. So, like, if somebody played the, you know, iWireless Wireless Center or, you know, the Adler Theater or something like that, I'd get to review the show. You know, so I'd review Alice Cooper or, you know, nice. Britney Spears. And and uh, and so then I started getting bylines that way, and I started sending those out to, like, um you know, like other national and regional music magazines and, and alt weeklies and things like that. And so then I started like picking up little freelance gigs here and there, hundred bucks here, hundred bucks there, and just getting, getting bylines. So, um, you know, and then from there, um, I started getting antsy and I was like, well, is this all I'm going to do? You know, like it seemed like kind of like, uh, not a dead end, but I knew, there wasn't much upside to staying at the newspaper. And so I kind of, you know, started the side hustle of not even a hustle. Cause there was, there was no money in it when I started it, but I started day trotter and I was like, well, I was, I just want to write about all the bands that I like, you know, I don't want to just, I don't want to have to pitch somebody like, Hey, do you want a story about this band? Who's really good. And they'd be like, Oh no, we're not looking for that. You know, write something about, um, you know, Jack Johnson instead of like, well, but I don't want to, you know, I'd rather write about this other person. Um, and so like day trotter, you know, was sprung out of that. Like just me wanting to only write about the people that I thought deserves, you know, publicity. And, um, so I didn't want to just write about it. I was like, how do we figure out, 
how to give them an experience, you know, something that nobody else is giving them. And at that time, nobody was doing these, you know, live in studio sessions. I mean, you know, radio stations had already always invited people in, maybe when they're passing through town and playing a show that night, you know, they'd pop in and they'd do a little on-air appearance. But, you know, as far as like actually recording sessions and, and creating kind of new content, that didn't exist. So, um, you know, that's how Day Trotter started. You know, we started doing this thing and oddly enough, it, it kind of caught fire and, and it kind of became a big deal. Was there a big break at Day Trotter as you look back on that chapter of your life and professionally when and Day Trotter had become, you know, nationally, internationally respected in the in the music community? Was there a, a one particular band or artist or someone that you stumbled across or something where you're like, you get you? You, you produced your, your piece for them with Day Trotter. They came into the studio. You guys were doing, obviously, these amazing illustrations and write-ups. Was there one particular band or moment where you're like, holy cow, we got something pretty cool on our hands here, where, where it kind of uh, ignited and it, and it set it off on a different trajectory? There were a couple of weird ones. I mean, honestly, like, it's, it's strange because even now you'd say the names and be like, well, they aren't – they never were really that big. Uh, but at the time, and it was just kind of like bands that like, we had our first few big breakthrough throughs when Pitchfork posted about something that we had done. Right. So like they had a, basically a daily thing where, you know, best new music. Right. And, uh, we had this band called sunset rubdown in, and they weren't the first band to do it, but they were, they were in there pretty early on. It's a nice I band. That's the- a nice band name, by the way. Sunset Great Rubdown, band. that's a good... Canadians. Uh, <laughs> and they kind of, on their own, jolted us because they, they came in and, and recorded a song they'd never recorded before. It was a brand new song that they were working on on the road. And Pitchfork freaked out about it, posted it like, as the headline, you know, best new music. And watching the click throughs that day and the downloads and the listens was just absurd. It was just like, Whoa, I mean, we're going to break the website. Like we didn't know if we had the capacity or the bandwidth to like handle what was going to happen that day when we started seeing it roll in. We're like, what's going on? Everybody was writing about this session. It was crazy. And, um, but kind of from that moment on, they sort of like created the mindset for other bands when they were coming in, like, Hey, we should do something new that we haven't done right. because people pay attention when we do that. And so for probably like the next year and a half, we got so much great kind of crossover pub from pitchfork and just other like news outlets that were like recognizing that we weren't just like a thing. We were actually contributing to, you know, we were creating new content, you yeah. know, obviously, you know, in conjunction with the bands, I mean, the bands were like deciding to do it, but they wanted to, they didn't want to be beat by these other bands. You know, they all wanted to kind of like be on the same, in the same situation. And so they would come in with crazy ideas of like, how do we do this? How do we rewrite these songs? How do we do new songs? And so that became kind of the culture for like the next two years. And then at that point, you know, every, you know, a bunch of copycats, you know, doing, uh, other sessions. And so what happened, it wasn't even that the copycats did anything to like change the culture. It was that bands were saying yes to all these other things across the country. And so they didn't want to reinvent themselves everywhere. So they would kind of give everybody the same content. You're like, here's our session set, you know? So like, we'll go in because everything was sort of set up the same way, like three songs, four songs. And so we'll go to all these different, hosts across the country and we'll do the same thing. So 
that essentially watered it down. But for about a year and a half, you know, we were the, 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 the one gang in, you know, in the country that was kind of like, you should come see what we do every day. Yeah. I'm curious how you, I mean, I, I view you as, as a, as a, call it a, a tastemaker or a curator of these, you know, these, what's the next up and coming artist that people, lame, lame folks, old people like me, you know, I'm catching all the cool stuff five years after it's up, you know, I'll text you, be like, yeah, hey, you heard this band? Like, yeah, they've already, they're already like, you know, blown up. But how do you design your time in a way where you allow yourself the opportunity to discover, to get out on the forefront and discovering these new, these new bands and these new musicians that are going to be popular? You know, I remember going out to a show at the Raccoon Motel and it was Coulter Wall was there. I never heard of this guy. You're like, just, you're just, hey, come see this guy. And then lo and behold, he's yep. on, you know, like, uh, you know, the Tonight Show six months later. And it's like, ah, oh, you, you do know what you're doing, you know? But like, how do you stay ahead? I mean, how do you do that? How are, are, are you, what's your exercise? What's your design of a day or a week or a month where you're making sure you have time to, to go discover these new, these new people and that's these new kind musicians? Of, that's what keeps me going though. I mean, like, I, you know, it's the same reason I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a voracious reader. It's like, I want new, I, I, I want to be inspired. You know, I think that's, that's a, that's at the heart of everything. And, and, um, you know, yeah, if, if it's your favorite album that you've ever heard and you want to just keep wearing it out and listen to it constantly. But, you know, I think most, uh, most artists themselves, you know, it's like you, you kind of can't keep going back to the well that many times. Like, yeah, you have your favorites, but you know, what's going to actually, um, uh, give you new ideas. What's going to, what's going to kind of spark you a little bit. And, um, I just make time for it. I mean, I kind of have to, I mean, it's part of my job and, and yep. it's how I choose to use my leisure, you know, like, um, I don't know, I guess I'm, I'm a little surprised that more people don't do that. Like I get every, you know, people have jobs, but it's like, I, I would never want to keep listening to the same thing over and over. I, you know, there's too many great things out there where it's, yeah. uh, you, you need to kind of differentiate a little bit. And, you know, if, if I can be that sort of like, um, if I'm the conduit, that's fine. You know, that's, that's kind of this gig that I love doing anyways, you know, like, you know, Taylor and I were talking about it last night. It's just like having the raccoon motel back and functioning and me able to put people on the stage that people don't know about, you know, it is like harkening back to kind of day trotter days where it's like, I love, I love finding, I love finding the underdogs. I love finding the people that, that, that aren't tapping yet. You know, like I love that. That's the thing that like excites me most. And, yeah. and when I can sort of give them an opportunity, I mean, I feel like I gave a lot of people opportunities with day trotter. I mean, we obviously did things, you know, in collaboration, you know, I mean, I day trotter doesn't exist with, didn't exist without the artists coming in and, and deciding to put their, their fingerprints on what we were doing. But, um, you know, it was also a platform that, you know, if, if we said yes to having you in, you got a little bump from that. And, um, I want to think that everything that we're doing with the raccoon Motel does the same thing. You know, it's like, if I can put you on a stage here and I can give you an audience in Davenport, Iowa and the quad cities in the state of Iowa, um, that rivals or, or is better than almost anywhere else in the rest of the country. Um, well, I helped you, I did something good for you. And like, you want it to not be a flash in the pan. You want it to be something that they can come back to and they can keep, you know, like I want people to, to know that like, Hey, 
if you come sell out the raccoon motel at X, you know, whatever ticket price, you know, let's say $20. Okay. You know that anytime you need $4,000, you can come to Davenport, you know, like we have a place where it's like, where where we can be kind of like a culture bank where it's like, you can come here and people love you here. So if I can keep creating like this market into a place, that's a sustainable thing for these artists who, you know what, if you go to Chicago or you go to New York city or some of these big markets and nobody gives a shit and you're just, you know, Hey, there's 15 people here and you're not going to get invited back. You know, like you don't want those people to give up if they're worth a darn, you know, like if somebody's a great artist and deserves to be heard, you know, like how many more markets can we give them where they can, they can survive and they, they don't throw in the towel. You know what I mean? What's the, what's the hardest thing about the business of live, of owning a live music venue or you like, as in your words, throw throw in an amazing event or party. I mean, there's all the moving parts behind the scenes. What's the hardest thing about what you do from a business perspective that most people wouldn't appreciate? Um, just the fickleness of, the buying public, you know, I mean, the laziness, uh, the, uh, everybody thinking like they, they can't go out on a Monday through Thursday night because they have to work the next day, even though they'll still be in bed by 10 o'clock if they come to <laughs> one of my shows, you know, like, yeah. I just don't think it's that hard. You know, I, I think so many people kind of neglect or, or kind of like deprive themselves of, of stuff that you actually need. I mean, I, I don't look at this as just sort of like, Hey, this is, this is to me, this is life. You know, like it's not business. It's like life, like hearing music, hearing great stuff that inspires you, um, is life. I mean, I would be a depressed, you know, horrible person to be around if I didn't kind of have this, like, yeah, it's like spark in my life every night. Like, I mean, you know, the last couple of years, you know, where we, we couldn't do any of this, where, where these bands couldn't get on stage and, and I couldn't see this, you know, I wasn't right. You know, like I, I, I was not a good person. And, um, I think a lot of people deprive themselves of this. And, and so, I mean, that's, that's, what's hard. I think, you know, people that think that they, they really can only go out on Friday or Saturday night to see somebody because, you know, frankly, around these parts, I mean, Iowa, you know, being a promoter or being a club owner in, in Iowa, you know, and Andre and Sam in, in Iowa City and Des Moines can say the same things. It's like, we're not going to get everything on Friday and Saturday nights. That's not how it works. We're going to get Tuesdays and we're going to get Wednesdays. And if people don't come out and see these, these artists, I mean, I always like this line. I say it a lot where it's like, there's only one place in the world that these people can be tonight, you know? And it's yeah. like, if you can kind of like feel the gravity in that, that's a pretty special thing. Like if you get a chance to see this person, they can't be anywhere else tonight, you know, and they're here in the flesh. That's a pretty special thing. And I think everybody has to meet halfway there. Yeah. You know, I think we've all, all of us that love music. You either come out, you either come out or you don't get that. I mean, there are so few cities in the country that get live music, that get touring, like really great high quality touring artists. I mean, it's such a small number of cities that have music scenes. Yeah. You know, you think about every city that exists, you know, places that have 40,000 people, 50,000 people. I mean, those aren't big cities, but like, that's a lot of people and they never get service. Bands don't go there. Nobody even thinks about it. Yeah. hundred percent. And you think about, I talk a lot about this as well as just, you know, quality of life is such a, 
important thing to attracting people to live in an area, you know, from an economic development standpoint, for sure. I mean, you look at the, you know, our businesses are trying to grow and people, we got to give them a reason to live in Iowa, right? It's not going to be mountains or ocean or desert or any of those sort of things. And it takes people like you to create these great avenues and venues that help to create a, you know, vibrant fabric of, of life here to give folks something fun to do. So it's, it's really important part of creating communities that people want to, you know, live in and, uh, you know, raise families in and, you know, take a young job as a young professional. So I think it's critically important from that perspective as well. Give us just a quick rundown. Like, what do you see, obviously, with the pandemic, hopefully the worst of it in the rearview mirror? What do you see the next 10 years from now? Where do you see live music? What does it look like in Eastern Iowa? How is it different? How has it changed? This is obviously a critical moment sort of coming out of the pandemic. What a how do you see it changing? How do you see it uh, adapting? I mean, I, I don't think it has to do much, right? Like, I, I I don't think, well, I mean, the one thing I know, there's never a replacement for it. I mean, there is there is no replacement for being in a room with a band playing live, you know? I mean, hell, I mean, people go see cover bands, and yet, you know, like, <laughs> those songs still, like, if you have a live band playing them, you know? Yeah. It's better than just listening on the radio like you know like there's there's an energy there that is irreplaceable you know same same as like seeing a movie in a big theater is different than just watching at your house i mean even more so live music and being in a room with a band is indescribable and and it's moving and and, and it makes you feel things and um I, I just don't think things have to change that much. You know, honestly, I, I think we're going to see things scale down a little bit more. I think people are going to, you know, not necessarily because of the pandemic, but it's like, I think, I think smaller groups and, and smaller rooms and, and bigger bands playing smaller places is probably going to happen a little bit more often because a, I think it makes more sense. And B, I think that's where you, you know, feel the energy best anyways. Yeah, absolutely. And you've done that great with, Obviously, Raccoon Motel, and then Codfish Hollow, which is, you know, a gem of a, a music yeah. venue. And it, uh, you talk about a quintessential Iowa, you know, summer evening. You ever, anybody can ever get out there for one of the shows. It's it's pretty special stuff. What's yeah. g- Give me a quick, like, what's the craziest thing an artist or a musician's ever asked for in their rider? Like, what you know, you hear all these stories of what they want back in the dressing room or you got any anything off the wall? You don't necessarily need to share the artist, but what's the craziest request that's ever been made of you? Oh man, I haven't had too many crazy requests. I think it's weird when you have to buy people socks. <laughs> I don't understand why. Yeah, I hate to see the backstory on that. Yeah, I don't get why that's my job to buy you socks. <laughs> yeah, you know, I got to incorporate that into your P and L. You probably never <laughs> had to anticipate that. That's great. Um. Well, we'd like to finish off these interviews with just some rapid fire questions um, just to have a little bit of fun. How much of your success, Sean, would you contribute to luck versus hard work? Um, I think it's 50-50, man. Uh, my hard work, part of my hard work always feels like play, so I feel like we're right. one of the lucky people. Um, but, you know, me going and, and hanging out with friends, um, you know, traveling and going to see see my friends play concerts all over the place it's still work and um uh, it's fun and it's work and and yet like luck i mean 
you think about just stuff you can never plan. I mean, you know, anybody that says that luck isn't uh, at least 40 to 50% of it is lying. Absolutely. Well, this is what I'm excited to hear your answer for. If given the chance, what profession other than your own would you most like to attempt? Uh, I don't necessarily think I would like it for too long, but uh, I've always thought it'd be pretty rad to be like a UPS driver. You know, <laughs> that seems fun. Just I don't dominate know, like, your route, move around, and hey, meet some people. Just dropping off packages places sounds awesome. <laughs> Like yeah. you're always delivering happiness. There's no bills. The UPS isn't delivering bills, which is rad. Yeah. I could picture you driving around to Spotify, you know, plugged into some, some great, some great lists and just, just enjoying your day, man. You know, I think so. Going, doing the route. Uh, how about business specifically? I'm, I'm, I'm curious if, if there's someone you've studied in and around the music industry, or even outside of the industry, is there someone that you've looked up to or, have enjoyed reading about or follow online a, a business leader with perhaps within the music industry that you've looked up to the music. Uh, I mean, I've always respected the guys that run secretly Canadian and Jag Jaguar record labels. I mean, they do everything right. They, they kind of, I think, you know, that's from, at least from the outside and I know them, you know, quite well. And I, I think they do a good job. They fostered a great roster and, and they're creative and, and, Nothing seems stagnant. I don't know. There's a couple like Midwest record labels that I've just always been impressed by. And uh, um, I don't know. That's, that, those are probably the ones that come to mind quickest for me, like as far as in the music business. Yeah. Uh, awesome. You know, it's, honestly, like, you know, not just because he's above, but like Sam, Sam Summers over in Des Moines is like Hinterland's quite the feat. It, that is hard to pull off. I mean, obviously, you know, people are buying tickets, hopefully in droves today for the on sale of this year's festival. But like, yeah, he is building out there, you know, what he's already done. But like what I know he's planning on doing in the future is nothing short of spectacular. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've always been I've been happy to be his friend and I've, I've always respected kind of how he does business. He's he's a good dude who's doing everything for the right reason. Yeah, that's awesome. Specifically about your career, uh, thinking about this within the context of your career in and around live music, what, what's been the most influential book that you've read that's either inspired you or steered you in the right direction um, or given you sort of the guidepost to have a successful career doing what you're doing? Hmm. I don't know that there's anything in a book that's sort of like helped me you know, that way, you know, as far as the business stuff, you know, I mean, books just give me ideas. I don't think they've ever helped me like kind of be better at what I do. You know, they, they, they make me like want to create, you know, like I think, uh, you know, what's, what's the one, what's the one most inspirational book that you've read? What, what is it? There's, you know, one thing you could pull off your shelf right now and say, and hand your, hand your younger self and say, Hey, you, you got to read this. It's one book that you would have wished you would have read at a younger age that you didn't get to. Huh. You know, I read this, uh, I, I don't know if this is the right one, but I, I read this book about the guy who started Vans, the, the shoe company, uh, sure. last year. And, uh, yeah, it's not like it was a great book, but, like, the way he did things was very interesting. You know, even, like, Phil Knight's book, you know, Shoe Dog was, yeah, was awesome. great as far as, like, the tenacity of, like, figuring it out on the fly. I mean, I think that's 
that's what I took from both of those books. It's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all these big brands, you know, big, big things that like everybody takes for granted. Now it's like, they started the same way I've done any of the things I've started, like scrappy, trying to figure it out on the fly. Yeah. Phil Knight's yeah. schlepping shoes over in yeah, the, like, going to China or Japan and yeah. like, you know, trying to find his factory and they, it's a great they, read. They make it. And, and then, you know, all of a sudden you're a behemoth, but it's like, there's no way that either of those guys ever, even still probably now after all the success in the world feel like, you know, there's something special, you know, I mean, they do, but like, yeah, man, we, we're just a scrappy, like gritty, like I'm going to make it at all costs situations. You know, they just didn't give up. It's, it's all about tenacity. It's about like sticking, staying in the game. I mean, whether that's somebody who's playing music or somebody doing something in the music industry, it's like, you know, the longer you stick with it, you have a career. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, non-music related, is there a podcast or a TV show, something you're into right now? Like what's in your Netflix queue? What, what it, or, you know, or something that's on your, your iTunes playlist? Yeah. How to with John Wilson. Okay. What's that about? I mean, it's a, it's a show and it's all over the place. It's every episode is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, everyone should watch it. It's absolutely quirky and smart and weird. And nice. it's great tune in sounds fun yeah. uh name one tiny thing that has had the biggest impact on your happiness uh, or something in your daily routine that you do like the little thing that if it, if it went away would most influence well, I your mean, happiness. i try to carve out like the first hour and a half of every morning um to read i mean if i didn't have that i mean kind of starts me off right it, it's it gives me ideas um that's it's what i need yeah, that's great. If I didn't have that, I, I couldn't do it. I mean, running too. I mean, running is a good palate cleanser. You know, if, if I'm not exercising properly, you know, running just gives me ideas too. It's all anything that can generate thoughts is good for me. Yeah, absolutely. If, if you had uh, 30 extra minutes in a day, what would you do with it? Read more. <laughs> I'm a freak. I'm a freak for books, man. Like I literally reading. Take, I take that. I'm taking that one off the list. If you had 30 extra minutes, what would you do? Okay, no reading. Um, you know, I mean, 30 extra minutes. If if you had like just a power hang with a close friend, you know, if you got to like if you got to time warp, uh, you know, or, or distance warp somebody here for just like, hey, if you got 30 minutes with like just one of those great people that you've collected in your life. Like I do that every day. I'd be like, that'd be like so gratifying. Just be like, if, if you could just be like, that's great. Just airdrop one of your, one of your great homies here for yeah, 30 minutes. There. Like, All right, we'll see you. See you another time. I love be great. It. I love do that every day. And then last question here, just to, if you were to take one sentence, and this is good as a writer, you know, you have one sentence or some brevity here. How would you define success? Uh, not having, not having to think if you're successful or not, <laughs> you know, not having to consider it, you know, cause like you must be successful if you're not thinking about it. Yeah. Love it, man. Appreciate you taking the time. Um, everything that you've done is it's a huge success story for not only the, the quad cities, but all of Iowa and it's, it's important work that you're doing and, uh, appreciate you taking the time to come on and chat. Hell yeah, bud. Good talking to you. Yeah, appreciate it.
This episode was produced by Joe Coffey of Coffee Grande Studios. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CB Journal.